GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. The inquiry into the early retirement of the former Commissioner of Police, Ian McGrail, continued today. It wasn't open to the public, but the current Commissioner of Police, Richard Alger, attended as did his predecessor, Mr McGrail. A team of 18 lawyers is discussing with the inquiry chair, Sir Peter Openshaw, what evidence might be restricted. We've got the latest from my colleague, Jonathan Sacramento. The flu is contagious and can cause mild to severe illness, and there's always more of it during the winter. So in the coming months, we expect it to be more of an issue. And we heard from the Director of Public Health that the uptake of the flu vaccine hasn't been what she expected or hoped for. Dr. Helen Carter told us why she strongly recommends anyone who is at risk or cares for somebody who is at risk why they should have their flu vaccine. And it's coming up to Halloween, and if you fancy something a little different, the Gibraltar LGBTQ Plus Committee are putting on a few events this Saturday, including a Halloween ball. We've got the details from Lorraine Oliveira. But first, today is the first day in over three and a half years when every government counter was set to be open to the public. Did they achieve it? Our reporter Kevin Rees has been out and about checking. Uh, Today, Thursday, the 26th of October, was set to be the first day in over three and a half years that every government counter opened to the public. Have... Have we achieved that, Kevin Rees? Jonathan, yes, we've uh, toured the government counters this morning and um, tell you what, we've found people lining up. Take a guess, which is perhaps the busiest counter today? Tax office. Tax office was relatively busy, but it's not the top one, not at least within the two-hour window uh, we were touring the counters. Employment? Well, mira, no. The busiest counter this morning was housing, which has been open for a while, we understand. That's been open, yep. But still, it was By the busiest. Way, yeah. And also, um, the civil service registration, which is the ID and passport office. That's always busy, yeah. Yep. But uh, importantly, tax one, important for many people, and people were queuing there this morning, many preferring the face-to-face interaction. Of course, that's the reply most people, that's the answer most people we talked to um, were giving us. And an important note, how many cross-border workers do we employ in Gibraltar? 14, 1,500, I think? 14, 15,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, many of them, many of those attending counters this morning, cross-frontier workers, who were telling us it's all well and good to have everything on eGov. It's all very well and good to be able to, uh, you know, um, do things online, exchanging emails, but emails were coming in English and not everybody speaks English. Yeah, I've done quite a few translations for cross-border workers and we've been stuck literally sometimes because the counters weren't open, especially income tax and the employment. I think it's important for the older generation in particular. Uh, I personally am quite good on doing things online, but a a face-to-face encounter is always uh, much better from a service point of view. There's a lot of people who don't get access on the internet, so definitely better. Been really good today. No, all these emails back and forth. Uh, it's gone really good. I'm happy. 
That's an important one there. Sorry, Kevin. I, yeah. <laughs> That's an important one there because the obvious, um, you know, the, the, the things which stand out, the older generation are not computer savvy, cross-fronted workers, of course, the language elements. Um, but importantly, just the uh, everyday local who is bilingual, who uh, the young person who's got access to, to the online, they were also encountering loads of problems at the time of interacting with government departments online they say they submitted emails they never knew where they'd been because they didn't re- they weren't acknowledged they had no receipt of um acknowledgement of receipts yep, yep. you could be hanging on for weeks and then weeks or, or months later you'd find out um not all the paperwork wasn't submitted or this was missing so you left there just hanging on for weeks they were telling us face to face you could always go there just sort it out it's always easier to get to the bottom to in, of the exactly, issue. Exactly, interact with someone. And importantly, again, this warning, some of our Moroccan uh, members in the community as well, they have that uh, fluency problem. And um, uh, they were explaining, they were trying to explain to us. And, and it was only because visually you see them and you can sort of interpret and read what they're trying to tell you in their um uh, you know, limited English, limited Spanish, and combining the both. Older members, older who members maybe of the Moroccan came to community, in yep. the closed frontier that years. first generation that was here, or you know, soon after the frontier closed. You know, and uh, it's always better to have a face-to-face interaction. If you and I exchange messages on WhatsApp like we normally do because of work, I guess it's just easier to say, you know, Jonathan. What are you telling me? What's happening? If you want to get to the bottom of a Quickly. problem, yes. you, you can you can thrash it out in Exactly. Person, no? And importantly, some issues that are being dealt with by people at counters today, they do require, uh, they, they do need to be resolved quickly because there are sensitive issues as well at play. Okay. Uh, so uh, generally then, the, the public has, the people that you've spoken to have been pleased very to see pleased, them open? Very happy to see them open. We also took to Main Street, the general public, those not needing counters today, but they also celebrated the fact counters were reopening. Everybody in agreement, it's always good to have the option to have that face-to-face interaction. If you can do it online, all well and good, see, but it's always yeah. an important option to have. I suppose more and more of our world happens uh, at the touch of a, a mobile phone, uh, and when that works, that's great. But I mean, I'm I'm still, uh, you know, I'm 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 uh, 42 years old, and, and I, only, when, uh, <laughs> but and I still prefer uh, when there's an issue. Yeah, I like speaking to someone about it. Of no? course, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, and and face to face is easier than than over the phone as well. Of course, and especially if any of the matters are a bit sensitive. Exactly, and sometimes you know that privacy because some matters are sensitive, and you need sometimes the empathy, the sympathy as well from the person listening who'll be able to, you know, take on the problem and 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 really work to resolve it because. There are many civil servants out there who go beyond the job when it comes to really sensitive issues or, or time-sensitive issues to help people and get them resolved as soon as possible. And from uh, your conversation with people waiting in the housing uh, queue, the queue to speak to somebody at the housing department, um, what, what, what were they saying? Because I, I didn't well, say... How, I know the housing is <coughs> the number one issue that the government has to, to deal with. Many people were shy to public. tell us about their issues, but one person in particular, they'd been... But, my, having issues. My question was, did they know that the counter, the yes. counter had been open before? Yes, they did. They did. It was just coincidence. There were people that were normal yeah, business. Yeah, exactly. Then, no? Yeah, yeah. But they, but they mentioned they were still struggling to, um, you know, find appointments or slots to 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 have the business attended to. No, and another thing that was mentioned, uh, um, and I almost forgot to mention, was eGov all well and good, 
but eGov is still not there. That's what people are telling us. It, it, it's, it's still not meeting the requirements the public has. It's a few years old and still sort yeah. of growing in exactly. its uh, functionality. Yeah. All right. Um, any other anecdotes, Kev? No, I mean, that's it. People generally really happy. Some really, really happy. You'll see the videos tonight and you'll You're see the images, a, a package for a tonight's package TV for... News, and you'll be able to see how happy people are from the visuals. Speaking <laughs> of happy and speaking of television, I've seen your uh, City Pulse. Uh... See? Monday we're, we're kick-starting the programme. Yeah. I'll be talking to Kelly on Gibraltar on today on Monday. And um, we'll be looking ahead to the new season. Well, we Excited look for that. to hearing all about it. Thank you. Um, looking good on the television. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin Reese, uh, for reporting on the first day in over three and a half years that every government counter is open to the public. Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. We've been talking about a number of things, but uh, today uh, we're going to um, focus a little bit on the seasonal flu vaccines. We know that uh, the flu can be anything from a, a mild illness to a, a fairly severe illness, and, uh, and certainly the Director of Public Health is strongly encouraging those who are offered the vaccine to have it, uh, and and benefit from the protection that it offers, uh, and it's um, it's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Helen Carter to the studio now. Um, remind us, Dr. Carter, why is it that uh, that you're sort of so clear in your position that the uh, flu vaccine, if available to you, should be taken? Thank you very much. Um, absolutely. I'm really strongly supportive of people taking the offer of seasonal flu. We know flu comes around every year. And indeed, this time last year, we saw a steep increase in the number of flu cases last November. That had impacts on hospital activity. It had people being admitted to hospital as a result of flu. What the flu vaccine does is reduce the severity of illness for flu. And that's why I'm really, really encouraging everybody who's over the age of 50 or has a long-term health condition to take up the offer of the flu vaccine. We also have the children's intranasal flu vaccine programme and that's because we try and reduce the amount of flu circulating in the community to protect the elderly. I'm worried at the moment that uptake has been quite low and this is why we're offering walk-in sessions at the GHA so you can walk in. You don't have to have an appointment. If you're in one of those at-risk groups, you can walk in in an evening from five till half seven and we'll give you a vaccine. And we are bringing the um, vaccines to the public. We're going to have uh, the ambulance there giving vaccines on Saturday morning in Casemate Square. OK, so let's unpack. Um, there's quite a lot in that answer. Uh, at-risk groups. Remind us who are at-risk people. Basically, if you have any long-term health conditions, so if you have a long-term lung problem, heart problem, kidney problem, if you're on dialysis, if you've had treatment for cancer, it's a very broad definition. We're also offering the vaccine to, to people who have very close contact with people who have long-term health conditions. So if you have a, a parent or a grandparent who has very, you know, a long-term health condition and you have significant contact, you can have one too. Uh, so, um, given that, would would somebody who cares for an older parent, even if that older parent is generally in good health, just by virtue of the parent's age, 
would you be offering it to the carer as well? Not necessarily. It depends on, on if, you know, if it's somebody who's who's in their 60s, 70s, really healthy, probably not. But if they've, you know, most people, by the time they get to... Sorry, 70 or 80. 70 or 80, you've normally got some type of health condition, whether it's high blood pressure, whether you've had heart problems, lung problems. Normally, by that age, you've developed something um, that would, would absolutely meet that criteria for if you have close contact and look after them, protect yourself and protect them. And we are living longer than ever before, but, uh, but, but uh, the, the sort of the longevity does sometimes come with some scars and some, uh, some issues. Indeed. But that's the beauty of modern healthcare. We are able to keep people healthier for longer by diagnosing heart problems, lung problems and, and treating them. OK, and, uh, and you said then that there's a, an, a walk-in service at the primary care centre? At the primary care centre, every evening from, from five o'clock till half seven, you can just walk in and we'll give you your flu vaccine. And this Saturday between, I think it's 10 till 2 o'clock, we'll be offering vaccines down at Casemates Square. Again, you don't need to have an appointment. You can just turn up. And in respect of children, you've worked with um, the schools. Is it lower primary exclusively or, or upper primary as well? So we're starting with the lower primaries and this year we've tried electronic consent forms for the first time. But if you change your mind and you've said no and now you want to change your mind, you can go back in on that consent form and, and re-consent for your child to be vaccinated or you can call the, the Children's Health Centre if you miss that slot when the, the nurses are coming to school to vaccinate. What we'll do then is go up through the older age groups until we've used up all the vaccines. So we're starting off with the younger children and moving through age groups. And let's talk about what, what the vaccination process entails. So for, for children, no needles? Correct. Children, it's an intranasal vaccine, so it's a, a squirt up the nose. But for adults, it's the what we call the quadrivalent vaccine. It contains four different types of inactivated flu and it's really important people understand you can't get flu from the flu vaccine. What you might well feel, though, is your body recognising you've come into contact with that virus before. So you might feel flu-like. A bit heavy. Exactly, a bit of headache, aches and pains. What I do when I have my flu vaccine is I have a pint of water on my bedside table, two paracetamol, two ibuprofen, have those before I go to bed and have some more if I wake up during the night. Okay, so just to, to keep the, the sort of pain uh, at bay. Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, and you touched upon it earlier, but just to, to make it abundantly clear then, uh, by not coming in, in, into contact with uh, the, the flu vaccine, you're not going to get ill, but, but you are going to prevent, uh, in the event that you were to um, subsequently uh, get the virus, so, so let's take it one step at a time. You, you, let's say you take the vaccine, you might feel a little unwell for a day or, or a couple of days, but then you're not sort of immune to, to getting the flu. But were you to get it, it would be much more mild than if you weren't protected by the vaccine. That's right. It takes about two weeks for your antibodies to properly develop after you've had a vaccine. So there's always the potential that, unfortunately, you can be exposed to flu in that time period where your body hasn't had enough time to create the antibodies. With the flu vaccine, we're trying to make an estimate and a, a best-informed decision about what strains are, are going to be circulating each winter. The flu vaccine may not stop you getting flu, but 
what it does is it tends to prevent hospitalizations and sadly each year we do see people die from flu and that's what the vaccine is there for it prevents the severe consequences of disease okay and um you said that there has been a low intake or, or uptake i'm not sure what the the proper terminology is uh, the response from the public has not been um uh, as uh, receptive as you would have liked not as many people having the um, the vaccine as you would have liked. Have you got any theories as to why that is? Yes, the feedback we've had was when we launched the programme, we were in the midst of a general election and I think a lot of that messaging then got lost, understandably, as a result of, of, of coverage and interest in the election. That's why we're doing a real push on it now. I had a look earlier in the week and we've had 1,600 or so adults take up the vaccine. We're, that's very low compared to where we're normally at. What are you, what are you hoping for? About 6,000. Oh, wow. So, so we are quite a way off yet. So that's why I'm doing a real push now to try and get people you know if you are eligible please take up the offer and do you think that um, there's also i mean we've seen uh, globally the, uh, the growth of an anti-vax movement um you know in the us in particular uh, with some very prominent people there um getting a lot of uh, attention for their um scientifically unfounded views and, and very controversial views. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you sense that that's also sort of entering the public discourse here? Have you had conversations with people who uh, hold these views and, and, and do you think that those views are, are gaining traction? I think we've always had an anti-vaccine community globally. Um, I, I'm, I have spoken to them here and we've had a very reasonable conversation around their beliefs and their views and mine. I think what we're picking up, though, here is is that vaccine fatigue of people just thinking, oh, my goodness, not another vaccine. We've gone through so many COVID vaccines. You're now giving us a flu vaccine. I think there is an element of that that we're particularly picking up from staff saying, you know, we, we, please, no more vaccines. But what I would say is seasonal flu happens every year. This is a vaccine we've used year in, year out. It is a safe vaccine and as I say, we, we know flu will be coming. Let's try and mitigate the effects of it. So, so not to say that that's different to the COVID-19 vaccine um, in a significant way because obviously uh, you, you, you were thoroughly recommending the COVID-19 vaccine as well, but the circumstances in which that was uh, prepared, it was a more speedy process and there were concerns about that. And what you're saying is even if you had the concerns about that, if you can park them, this is different because we, we know what the flu is. We've been doing the flu vaccine for many years. You shouldn't have concerns about the safety of this vaccine at all. Yes, this is a well-used, well-known vaccine that we've been using for years. Just to reassure the public, though, as, as you've alluded to, you know, there were concerns around the messenger RNA, COVID vaccines. Now, globally, millions and millions of people have had those messenger RNA vaccines and we're not picking up any significant safety concerns about those. Okay, uh, any any other uh, significant uh, points that you wanted to cover as we uh, approach uh, the winter season when inevitably there will be more flu and, 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 and more of other viruses as well. Absolutely. Winter is always the time we get increased diarrhoea, vomiting, whether that's from norovirus. We've also got a cryptosporidium outbreak at the moment, which is a quite a nasty parasitic uh, a sort of infection that has been spread through swimming pools. They're now closed mainly, but 
Um, the main advice is this is this is you know let's reflect back to where we were in COVID. Hand washing, you know, the importance of hand washing. You're preventing person to person spread. If you've got symptoms of diarrhoea, please do not go into work or send your child to nursery or school until at least forty eight hours after those symptoms have settled. Forty eight hours after those symptoms have settled. Yes, please. Okay, yeah. uh, Dr. Helen Carter, thank you so much, and uh, and you know, uh, hopefully the next time we speak to you, uh, there'll have been an increase in that number, and you've bridged the gap between the one thousand six hundred current vaccinations and your target of six thousand. Thank you. On Radio Gibraltar and on GBC Television, Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. The McGrail inquiry continues. Today, it's not open to the public. Uh, the current Commissioner of Police, Richard Alger, is attending, as is his predecessor, of course, uh, Ian McGrail. Uh, a team of 18 lawyers is discussing with the inquiry chair, Sir Peter Openshaw, what evidence might be restricted. Uh, and it'll be Sir Peter Openshaw's decision to make advised by the Inquiry Council, Julian Santos. Uh, but there was a long hearing yesterday and Jonathan Sacramento was there for every minute of it and he joins us now. Uh, Jonathan, uh, the fifth preliminary hearing, um, we, we were just discussing uh, before you came on that um, it, th there's a lot said and, and from the reporter's perspective, you've got to try and keep your wits about you for many hours without having the, the benefit of all of the notes and the correspondence well, every, that the lawyers have beforehand. Every lawyer walks in there with three massive uh, suitcases full of files and annotations and references and uh, witness statements. This is all information that we don't have access to. So we have to be very... Uh, quick on the take in the sense that we have to make sure that there are references that they make to section 10b of this whatever and we don't have that the, we don't have access to to, to that information uh, so it, it, you've got to be on well, the board it's not, it's not our bread and butter no 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 we're not lawyers yeah. uh, we're there we're there to to catch the uh, a snapshot of what the main arguments are and uh, and that's what we do. We digest it. Uh, we digest all that information, and we present it in a uh, in a, an understandable uh, format for for our listeners and and viewers. And um, and not to trivialise what is a very serious matter, but yesterday um, the, the the sort of the main uh, talking point were these Latin words, which I'm not ever a hundred percent sure how to pronounce. Noli prosequi. Noli prosequi. We heard a few different pronunciations. We have heard uh, a few different pronunciations. The, yes. menu. Uh, <laughs> the, the discontinuance of uh, of of the of a criminal trial, no, which happened in January 2022. That's right. So yes, this uh, discontinuation of criminal proceedings in January 2022, and that is uh, a, a matter which came before the preliminary inquiry yesterday. You will recall that these three men were charged with conspiracy to defraud Bland Limited and undermining its ability to fulfil the national security contract with the Gibraltar government. And that case was discontinued and it was never really explained why. The, uh, the most we got from the Attorney General was that it was in the public interest or the national interest. 
to not uh, have that hearing in public. Uh, and what the tribunal, what the inquiry is now discussing, is whether the attorney general should be asked to come to the inquiry when the main hearing is heard in April, and asked why that case was abandoned. And not only that, but the the, the question also came up uh, about you know whether. This inquiry, in the way that it's being constituted and formed and commissioned, uh, has the actual uh, legal power to compel the Attorney General to come before it. To actually, uh, and you saw what uh, Sir Peter Caruana said yesterday, the lawyer representing the government parties. He said the AG will only come before this inquiry and give evidence if it's forced to by, uh, by the highest court. And uh, and that's where we are. That's, so that's his position. That's his position, and, and Sir Peter said that will not change. So uh, it's a it's a question of whether the commission, uh, the inquiry, and its judge, uh, Sir Peter Openshaw, uh, which uh, it, who is deliberating on this uh, particular issue, whether he comes back and says, "Well, you know, this is what I've decided. We still we have to await wait to that, yeah. that, uh, that ruling." Okay, um, I, I've just before I, I ask you a follow-up question, Jonathan. Uh, we are having some technical issues, so um, anyone tuned in on GBC Television, I think, can't see us, but they can still hear us. Uh, and our tech team is working on that, and we hope to be able to bring you um, the the visual uh, aspect uh, of this program very soon. We should be back on your TV screens uh, very soon. That's a shame. Uh, apologies I, I, for the delay. I've got. A, I'm having a good hair day. <laughs> you have you have a lot of good hair days nowadays. <laughs> uh, good for you. Um, but but um, uh, going back to the McGrail inquiry, we um, so so. Uh, Sir Peter Caruana explained what um, uh, the Attorney General's position is, mm-hmm. uh, and and then we heard Julian Santos as the counsel to the inquiry um, give a, a sort of a position uh, that that he was, as it were, recommending to mm. to the chair. No, so he, he said um, we, the Attorney General, might be able to to decide uh, not to give any explanation. Uh, and he's probably constitutionally um, in his right to do that. However, um, we might be able to make some inferences from his uh, decision to exercise that right. Uh, that is what he's recommended to the judge. However, it's it's up to the judge to decide. That, that, that this is one of the questions before the judge right now. If the Attorney General decides not to come before the inquiry and give evidence and answer questions, then uh, am I entitled to draw an inference from the fact that he hasn't attended? Uh, and, uh, uh, and again, that's a matter for the judge to decide whether he has that power to do so. Really interesting. Lots of um, big files, lots of laptops and mm. iPads. Yes, um, stenographers. And, yeah. uh, and on this case, in this case as well, uh, video links to London to some of the council who weren't able to attend in person. It's very difficult to get 18 lawyers together. <laughs> you know, these are busy people with heavy diaries, so uh, it's very difficult to get everyone together. That's why one of the reasons why this inquiry is taking so long because it's very difficult to get everyone around the table. And in fact, the original date for the inquiry was supposed to be February. That was when the main hearing was supposed to take place. 
they've pushed it forward to April. Back. Pushing well, back yeah, yeah. They've pushed it back to April because, uh, bear in mind, they not only need to get all the lawyers around the table, they have to get all the witnesses as well to make sure that they have four weeks free to be able to come in and give evidence, oral evidence. Wow. Uh, so, uh, okay, so uh, we we know that today's uh, session is in, in private, but mm. they did tell us that uh, what they were going to be covering in general terms, no? Yes, it's a, it's a matter uh, of uh, agreeing. Uh, well, they did say that they, they don't want to rehearse the main inquiry itself. Mm. They They just want to sort of like agree on which areas they are going to redact for whatever reason. I mean, again, we're not privy to to all the discussions, but this is a matter of, of discussing which evidence is going to be presented before the inquiry and, and which isn't. Okay, and um, uh, are you slightly, if I can put you in a bit of a, yeah. a pickle, uh, are you slightly surprised by um, the uh, the date that has been announced, April? I know it, it's been taking a long time, but, um, but now it's been pushed back another two months effectively. Again, there were... Uh, um, there were indications that this was meant to be February, but, you know, lawyers have busy calendars and we're not just talking about lawyers here. We're also talking about the witnesses, some of whom are pretty big actors in this scenario. You know, we're talking Mm -hmm. about potentially uh, people like the chief minister and, and... um, and the, uh, the former uh, governor, the former governor, all uh, coming before the inquiry to give oral evidence, and um, and, and these are busy people with with uh, very difficult timetables, and they have to put a lot of time to one side to come and give evidence, and they have to make sure that they get the entire dramatis personae of this case together for four weeks to make themselves available for for evidence. Okay, Jonathan, and um, and just a reminder then that um, uh, we we are going to be broadcasting uh, the um, uh, yes. th- the main hearing of the inquiry on mm-hmm. on GBC Television and Radio Gibraltar. That's right. It'll be live on GBC Television and Radio Gibraltar, uh, and uh, this was a submission made by GBC to. The uh, the judge, Sir Peter Openshaw himself, uh, suggesting that this is a matter of such public interest that uh, we should be allowed to uh, to uh, to broadcast it live. And uh, to his credits, the commissioner, uh, and when we're talking about the commissioner, we mean the chairman of the, the, the chairman of, of the, the inquiry, um, uh, has agreed. Believes yeah. that we should be able to do it. It's not in a court building; it's in the Garrison Library, so there are no. Uh, he he makes the rules. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, thank you for following that closely for us, Jonathan, and for bringing us up to speed. Jonathan Sacramento with the latest on the McGrail inquiry, which continues today, but with a private session. Gibraltar today with Jonathan Scott. We're going to find out more about um, then the uh, Gibraltar LGBTQ plus committee's Halloween plans, which um, <laughs> the, the the names just it's just brilliant. Hello, Queen. Um, good afternoon <laughs> to, to Lorraine uh, Oliveira um, from the committee. Um, uh, Halloween is, is is growing in stature, isn't it, in Gibraltar? Yeah, I think uh, it is. I think it always has been. You know, I mean, I, all the years I've known the kids have always gone out dressing up. You know, and um, people have always gone out of their way to buy plenty of sweets and get ready for it. Uh, 
And uh, and and this year you're organising an event which will bring in a star of RuPaul's Drag Race UK, Vicky Vivacious. That's absolutely right. Yes, which, yeah. which elevates the the event, doesn't no, it? No, absolutely. Yes. I mean, thankfully, um, you know, we've we've got to know these people over the last two years with Pride events and that, and uh, we're in we're in touch with quite a few people now that. Um, that, ha- that are happy to help us out. And we've gone ahead and organised a Halloween ball, as you said, on the 28th of October, this Saturday. Uh, it starts at nine o'clock. It's also been organised along with Frequency. Uh, they've they've organised it with us. And we've got some great acts coming up. We've got uh, Karima, um, Isis and Coco. So J- Karima, we just heard. Yeah, we just Rima. heard, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got J-Bax. And then Vicky Vivacious from RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah. Now, if anyone doesn't know Vicky Vivacious, let's uh, let's hear her voice. Basically, I've always wanted to be really bubbly, really outgoing, really girly. I'm like six foot tall in heels, maybe seven foot tall with a wig on. I love the the campery of it all. <laughs> she loves the campery of it all. She certainly does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, and she's worked alongside um, uh, artists like Lil Mix, Girls Aloud, Danny Minogue. I am reliably informed by Kelly that uh, she is also featured on Britain's Got Talent. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So she's she is quite quite well known. So we're lucky to to get her back again and uh, to bring her over. And I think she loves Jib anyway. You know, I think uh, most people we've brought over over the last two years. Um, get in touch with us to come back again because they, they've really enjoyed it. Yeah, well, um, one of our listeners, Phil, uh, says that he's a massive RuPaul fan and thinks that Vicky is a front-runner on the show and he is really excited to see her performance Saturday, so that's nice. Oh, excellent. Good, good. I'm, I'm pleased. <laughs> and uh, Michael says um, that uh, that Vicky Vivacious is very entertaining, loved all her looks so far on Drag Race because she is a, a striking character. No? She's definitely a striking character. So, yeah, I mean, if you haven't... I mean, you can always have a look online and see who she is, you know, and if you if you think you'd enjoy that, you know, the show and stuff, please come down. I mean, like I said, it's at nine o'clock at Boyd's. Uh, it's twenty pound a ticket, and the the money will be going towards our next Pride event, which is next year, next June. And you can go online and buy tickets on Buy Tickets. Um, yeah, and there'll also be f- um, prizes for the best fancy dress. Oh, nice! That's cool. Yeah. Uh, so, so I mean, it's a social event, um, which uh, you know you don't need an excuse for for a social event because it's always good to to talk and to to meet no, new people. But but there's also if you're fundraising for Pride, it, it's sort of there's there's a serious element uh, to to I suppose you know the you know the campaigning element of of, of the committee. Well, to be honest with you, I mean the next Pride will be our third Pride in Gibraltar. And uh, we're always and and keep being more overwhelmed each time by the support. I mean, already we've I've been approached by uh, JP Hollage, and um, thank you, big thank you to the guys at Argos Insurance who have already insured us for next year, which is amazing, you know. And we haven't even we've only just started sort of organising things for next year. So to be fair, we get a lot of support, and we're really grateful for it. Uh, and and so you feel that uh, pride uh, and the LGBTQ plus movement is is growing and going from strength to strength. Oh no, it's definitely growing. It's definitely growing. Um, I mean, we've got quite a big supporters um, thing now. We've also uh, been accepted into the European Union LGBTQ plus. Um, which is massive. It took us months to do that. What is like um, a, an overarching family yeah, of it's, committees? It's, if I had to explain it really quickly, it would be something like Eurovision. 
uh, and one year you may be asked to do Pride, you may get nominated to, and it gives Gibraltar big exposure as well. Super. Well, congratulations on that. Um, so just a quick reminder then, Saturday, 9pm. Saturday, 9pm at, uh, at Boyd's, at the yeah. King's Bastion. And you can buy your tickets online, buy tickets, 20 point a ticket, and you get a, a, a free drink uh, on, upon entry. Everyone welcome. Everyone welcome, everybody. Okay, so that's Hello Queen. Thank you so much uh, to Lorraine Oliveira from the Gibraltar LGBTQ Plus Committee for joining us. You're welcome. And best of luck for Saturday. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar Today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.